0: Welcome to the She Wore Black Podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited author and editor of dark speculative fiction, Alex Woodrow. Her writing and editing credits are too many to list in the intro, but I specifically wanted to talk to her today about her collaboration with Bridget's Gate Press on their anthology, A Quaint and Curious Volume of Gothic Tales. We also talk about her experience as a writer from Romania and how that's impacted her career, as well as her dreams for fellow Romanian writers. I had the best time with this interview, and I am so glad you all tuned in for this one. Thanks for joining me today. Now, on to the show. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I want to offer you extra thanks because you're way over there in what is a gothic reader and writer's dream in Transylvania. (laughs) Um, So I know there's a big time difference. So uh, there's extra thanks today. (laughs) (laughs) You're super welcome. But anyway, you
1: can imagine that I'm used to doing this to being up late at night because I have to communicate with so many people from other countries, and I'm never in the right time zone for anybody. So You know, I'm used to it. Anyway, I'm a night owl. I like working at night more.
0: (laughs) Well, geographically, anyway, you're in the perfect spot for Gothic fiction. Absolutely. Um, Do you think that that's given you sort of uh, an inherent interest in the genre?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that necessarily because Mm -hmm. Romania doesn't have like inside our own country we don't have this massive tradition of gothic fiction in the way you would imagine you know the english-speaking world has because we don't have a huge written tradition of horror at all most of our horror is more folk horror you know it's more the kind of thing that you tell by i mean yeah of course you will tell gothic stories by the fire too but this is a lot more you know practical horror uh earthy things like how to prevent people from rising from the dead and you know, <laughs> tips and tricks, you know, 10 herbs to use in order to prevent the dead from rising, that sort of thing. And we don't have this enormous tradition of horror. Having said that, I think that we are a horror reading country. Oh, okay. I think everybody I know loves to read horror. Everybody I know reads in English, of course. In Romania, everybody speaks English. Most of us are bilingual at this point. So I grew up definitely surrounded by horror books from, you know, the English speaking world. So that helped for sure. And then, of course, the setting itself, it kind of lends itself to that sort of thing. We have I mean, I just recently moved back a couple of months ago. I was away for seven years living in Italy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I just moved back because I missed this country and I wanted to be back here and I already have this list of nearby castles and abandoned castles and mansions. Wow. And I've, I've seen this, uh, there was a display in the center of town, these photographers took pictures and there was a little description and the area where you could find it. And I took pictures of every single one of them because they look amazing. Yes. And I can't wait to go and actually visit them in person. You know, the ones that are relatively safe to visit because not all of them are because of uh, crumbling not because of vampires or anything
0: <laughs> oh rats
1: <laughs> yeah also rats probably oh uh-huh. oh goodness um but yeah I so i just moved into this new region sorry
0: no i just think this is amazing please tell me you're going to post these things on instagram when you do visit of
1: course of course <laughs> i cannot wait and um I also have, uh, I mean, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to do all in one summer, because I have so many dreams of what I want to do here now that I'm back. But Romania also has several, like many hundreds of abandoned villages. So these are very small, very remote villages, where the people just you know, aged out, the young people moved to the city, the old people died, nobody came back. And they are completely empty now. And I actually wrote a story that's set in one of those villages, in my grandmother's village, actually. And it's going to be published in um, the horror library (gasps) at the beginning of March. And when that happens, I intend to go and visit that village and take pictures, if I can still find it. Like, these are all dreams, so we will see if I can accomplish it. Yes, But yeah, the setting is definitely the sort of place where you can at least start to dream about these stories. And hopefully I I want to encourage more people here to actually write these stories because there are not enough Romanian writers and I want to make more.
0: Yes, absolutely. Every everybody needs you know the nurturing you know it's real important to have to know that there's others like you and Mm -hmm. that that there's a fostering of that you Uh know i was wondering in texas when i was first getting started like was there anybody really in texas doing this well there's loads Mm -hmm. of people but you have to find each other and so i love that you're trying to create this community over there because i know that they're there Mm -hmm. you know there has to be Mm -hmm. you know
1: not as much as you would think. It was actually, I had a shock recently when I was I started looking for this community and I was even, I wrote to the Horror Writers Association and I asked them, I straight up went, I would like to meet other people in Romania. And they said, that's great, there are two of you. (gasps) I thought, two? Yes, including yourself, there are two of you. Okay. But then I also realized that, of course, I grew up in a culture, like Romania is still a very poor country. I grew up in in a culture that told you that, if you're going to be an artist of any sort, you are going to die of hunger, guaranteed. Mm. My parents' generation were not extremely nurturing in that direction, not necessarily from bad intentions or anything. They just wanted to give us tools for survival sure. and the arts were not necessarily what they considered at the time as you know, something that would keep you alive. And also because we just came out of a totalitarian regime at the end of 89, that was a huge chunk, that was maybe 30 or 40 years that they were under strict censorship.
0: Mm. So you
1: couldn't write anything, you couldn't write any stories, you couldn't write song lyrics, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't be published unless it was approved. So if you take out an entire 30 years of history, that's a whole generation of people who had no connection to literature whatsoever, unless it was the one that was approved by the state, you know. They loved their stories about how nice it was to be a Romanian peasant and how uh, soul fulfilling the country life was and how beautiful the forests are. So, you know, combining that with the fact that it's a poorer country, we genuinely haven't nurtured for basically two generations now. We haven't even just basically telling young people, look, it's okay to write. Like, it's okay if you want to be a writer, there are things you can do. It doesn't mean that you have to be the next Stephen King. You know, it doesn't right. mean that you have to win that kind of lottery. But in the writing world, there are so many branches you can take and actually work and be happy. And maybe you don't even want to make it for a living and you just want to do something else for a living and still write and publish stories. Oh, and that's sure. fantastic. And that's not the sort of speech that you hear told in Romania almost anywhere right now. And I think my generation... going to be one of the first who are going to you know take up that torch and start telling people look
0: it's okay you get to do this do it it's going to be fine this is so fascinating and i know that you're a horror writer but i'm just putting this out there and i'm sure you've probably already thought about it or i'm not the Mm -hmm. first person to think about this but i would love to read like a non-fiction memoir about this Mm -hmm. you know i think this would be so fascinating Oh, good. And I
1: definitely have plans. I just have to find the time for all right. of them. So <laughs> nonfiction, I, I, I keep like, um I call it an author's Bible, my writing group and I keep one for each of us where we have an outline of all of the future uh, novels and novellas and sometimes even short stories that we intend to write, but we can't maybe do them right this moment. And I think there's more nonfiction on mine than there is fiction because I want to do so much to preserve this local culture. I want to do a book on the local superstitions related oh, yeah. to death and funerals. I want to do a book on the local uh, cooking how and how it relates to folklore, because, you know, uh, certain fruits do have certain properties and certain herbs. If you take them in the graveyard at midnight and do certain things and make brew certain teas. So I definitely want to do a folklore cookbook. I definitely want to do, you know, I'm also writing fiction that's Tries to connect somehow to my culture. So someday I would like to write nonfiction books that accompany that fiction and show the actual legends and myths that inspire the fiction. Because right now there aren't any translations. Right. Like I have friends, I have so many friends who are telling me, where can we read some of your folklore? And I keep having to say, I wish I could tell you, but right. you can't. It's either not digitized, so it exists only on paper in a library somewhere, in a museum somewhere. Or if it's digitized, it's
0: not translated. Uh So good luck. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think Mm -hmm. this is, I mean, I'm here for it. (laughs) But I think a lot of people would be. And not only that, these are resources for other writers. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something I think we're all waiting. So we will wait patiently because we know it's a long list. But given all of this background and all of this history, all of these things that you want to work on, how is it let's talk let's talk about the origin story of this of this anthology you did with with bridget's gate press i think i'm pronouncing that correctly yeah um called a quaint and curious volume of gothic tales Mm -hmm. you have all of this stuff you have your hands in a lot of projects because anyone that looks at your resume will see that you there is like, I'm sitting here going, I want all of these things, Alex, even though you're Mm -hmm. writing all of this other stuff and you have your hands on all these things. How is it that you came to do this anthology with what is a new and up and coming? They're making waves already in the world of of Gothic literature. Um, How is it that you came to work with them all the way over there while you're so busy? What's the origin story here? (laughs) Well, I have
1: a chronic issue of wanting to do everything because I came (laughs) okay
0: I have that problem too
1: (laughs) I think part of my reason is that I came to this profession relatively late Mm. I no there's no such thing as late but I definitely could have been there a lot sooner but I was not encouraged to pursue writing by my family and my community like I said so I did a lot of other stuff before getting there and I never really loved doing any of the other stuff you know it was like it was great. I had this job for a long time. I loved it. It was good, but I did, it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And when I finally landed here, everything started to feel so right that I cannot stop myself from taking on <laughs> projects. I want to be involved in everything. It's like I'm trying to catch up for the past 15 years that I could have been doing this and haven't been, you know. So what happened originally was that I wrote a short story and I sold it to Tenebrous Press. which is the press that I now work with permanently as an acquiring editor. So I told them a story, never having heard of them before in my life. And we started talking because apparently that's the only way that I'm capable of making industry connections is selling people stories. We started talking and Matt, the owner, also noticed that I was doing a lot of stuff and I was doing freelance editing and working on some cool projects. And he had, he always had in mind the idea of doing this anthology that was for women writers. And he thought a woman editor would be an appropriate choice. And he asked me if I want to lead, you know, lead the way with it, especially because the book that I sold the story to, which was their previous release, Green Inferno, did well. And we had a Kickstarter that, we, you know, we all contributed to making sure it went well. So he said, okay, how about on the next project, you take lead? And that's how Insomnio started and when i opened submissions for insomnia i had of oh, 800 stories wow. it was incredible really That's it was beyond belief and the problem with horror submissions is that you would think that some of them would be just terrible or easy to say sure. no to and they're not they are just not the vast majority And this is a horrible thing to hear when you're a writer. I know I hate hearing it too, because I want to believe that I'm always putting out the best stories in the information file. But the reality is that so many writers are incredibly talented and so many stories are genuinely good that I just ended up with way more material on my hands than I knew what to do with. And we had our choices for insomnia. And I started asking around, Is there anybody else? Like these stories are perfect. They deserve to be published right now. The only issue, the only reason why I can't take them is because insomnia had to be modern and weird and wild and like radically new, still with those gothic sensibilities. But the whole point of it was to be radically modern and new. And the only reason why I can't take these stories is that they were a little too classic for insomnia, but otherwise they're perfect. Come on, somebody has to help me put them out there. And Bridget's Gate stepped up for that. I kept a couple of them for another upcoming project with Catstone Books. Uh And I, I I kept a couple of them for Bridget's Gate. And then, you know, through talking with the owners of the press and figuring out more of what they really want to do with this project, what their sort of vision was. Because my role as editor in this situation was kind of to be an intermediary. I wanted to make the authors happy, but I also wanted to make the press happy. It was our first collaboration. So it was really important to me that I do what they want, not just what I wanted to do. Sure. So the more we spoke, the more I had this clear image of what they wanted the final product to be. So then we also requested a couple of additional stories. We opened submissions briefly like it was a flash. Just I just tweeted it out one evening, and by the next day, we had 200 stories in my inbox. I opened it up briefly because we were looking for specific themes. Like we were still looking for a raven-themed story. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then out of all of those, we finally brought together what ended up being our final lineup, which I think. As much as we said, it was more a little more of a classic Gothic. It's not really a classic Gothic. It's still modern Gothics, but it has that sort of classic feeling. It spans all sorts of themes and all sorts of authors who are at all sorts of stages of their careers. So we were, yeah, really happy with the result on this one.
0: So you just touched on something that was an important point for me whenever I was reading through the stories. Um, I haven't finished reading through all of them yet, but I'm very excited that you have the paperback out now because Mm -hmm. the way my brain processes information, I really struggle with eBooks. So I'm thrilled that this is also available in paperback and we'll finish reading the stories in paperback. But um, what I felt when I was reading these was that they were timeless even Mm -hmm. if there was a single phrase or sentence that referenced that this was a contemporary setting Mm -hmm. the entire rest of the story made you feel like it was timeless it could Mm -hmm. be historical or it could be contemporary but what was so wonderful is that they did have that classic feel because that's my jam Mm -hmm. you know is Mm -hmm. to feel like I mean to have that gothic feeling that's kind of um like lost in a sense of time mm-hmm. you know?
1: yeah because we we thought about it we talked about it I thought about it a whole lot even with insomnia like how do you actually define gothic because no two people are going to give you the exact same answer and it's never a short answer anyway it usually takes a few pages to explain so what I really wanted what we really wanted was to break it down to the most basic feelings is it going to inspire those kinds of feelings is it a little cozy, but with a little bit of dread. Oh, sure. You know, are yeah. we going to span the whole arc of themes ranging from hauntings and insanity and struggling with a sense of identity, and, which are the core themes of the pure classic gothics as well? And you know, are we going to have varied locations? Are we going to have these memorable, creepy moments that are going to soak into people's bones? That was the sort of thing that we were after because, you know, a pure classic gothic, they exist already. I don't think it's our job to preserve the genre in the sense of rewriting the exact same thing that's already been done, because they're always going to be there and we're always going to love them and respect them. And, you know, anybody who loves a story from this collection just talk to the authors and ask them what their influences are, and you will get 20 recommendations right. of fantastic classic gothics. So I think our job was to show the world what it means today for these women who are writing right now about right. their own you know, interpretation, their own hauntings, and their own questionings of sanity. Because you know, I think what was really important about those original gothic stories was that they were an avenue to explore some deeper philosophical questions, right? You know, and in our own little humble way, those are the questions that we were trying to look for as well.
0: Well, and what I felt also with the whole sense of like, timelessness of them is that these stories are going to hold up in 50 years, because they have, they have enough attachment to classic tropes that we love and look for as readers because that's the thing about genre we go to the genre of choice looking for and even within that genre we look for the tropes that we love because Um, we're looking
1: for something and we
0: can read that trope a thousand times but we don't care we love it it's our it's what we look for and so but what What can happen sometimes with any art form, this isn't even just literature, this is all art Mm -hmm. forms, is that some things will hold up and other things Mm -hmm. will feel dated and, you know, because there are maybe things about it that are, um, you know, either our ethics change or Mm -hmm. um, maybe the style is changed you know that kind of Absolutely. stuff Absolutely. for example like I also I also read and write romance as much as I read and write horror and there are definitely dated things you know where of what was acceptable or what was trendy mm-hmm. at a time but then there are classic things that never go away never go and course. so I feel like you know we found the classic tropes you mentioned ravens the first story i went to was a kindness of ravens because okay. ravens are one of my jams you know i'm like oh, oh i see ravens in the title let me go to that first <laughs> even though it was like a story towards the end of the book i went to that first mm-hmm. and i loved it i felt like i was reading crimson peak you know yes when absolutely. i read i oh, love that yeah
1: absolutely i love that comparison and i think april is definitely going to love that comparison too that's <laughs> fantastic yeah and that story is a perfect example of how you get all of that big mood but yeah. like in a modern way with clearly a modern voice talking about right now and I, I love that about it it was definitely a, a story that I started reading and I think a few pages in I already thought yeah this is this is coming in this is going to be in the book for sure guaranteed
0: and what I love to, uh, uh, that, that one, by the way, is April Yates, for those that are listening, mm-hmm. um, wrote a kindness of Ravens. That is a sapphic Gothic tale. So that, mm-hmm. um, makes it modern with regard to, even if those were tones that were written in like historically, it's something mm-hmm. that can be written now, um, and, and written in a way that honors the subject. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was nice. Um but you know, that has uh, some of the favorite tropes in that one story. Like, it's a tiny story, but you get the ravens, you get the poison, the mysterious sea, yeah. like all of these yeah. things. Um, you get the the apparitions. You get Yeah,
1: there's a little bit of mysticism, but it's actually <sighs> yeah. mostly practical in the sense that, you know, most of it is not even speculative, but then there's always a little bit of question, and it's always a little bit of questioning of reality, yeah. and there's i love it it's a great story obviously i love all of them
0: right well i'm I'm like i have a list i mean i can't go through the whole list but i'm like i was taking notes on the individual stories because they were Mm -hmm. all so fun Going back to, I had mentioned that they were, you know, little, they were small stories and that's actually something I really enjoyed about it because I've been part of anthologies before where they want like a minimum word count of like 25,000 words, which is great for that story. That's their vision. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are collections of stories that I go back to time and time again Some of them are by individual authors. Um, Every Mm -hmm. short story collection by Neil Gaiman, I have memorized because I've (laughs) gone to them time and again. And what's nice about those is that I... I can pick them out like a song you mm-hmm. know aside from the fact that I'll read them multiple times I have the audiobooks too and I could listen to mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman read to me all day every day <laughs> of course <laughs> um, but uh, you know it's almost like a summer soundtrack or something to mm-hmm. me some of these stories you know just things that I'll go to for comfort time and again mm-hmm. Susanna Clark also has um, the Ladies of Grace Adieu um, which is one where I have certain stories memorized because I just go back to them over and over yep. again and um and kelly barnhill ha- has one as well but um one of the one that i kind of compared this to is actually a middle grade one which is mm-hmm. called cabinet of curiosities and the reason why i do that is because that has multiple authors it's not just a mm-hmm. single author but some of those stories are like 3 or 4 pages long mm-hmm. but they've stayed with me so yeah. much you know because the impact of what they've talked about in just that Mm -hmm. amount of time was so powerful. And um, I think cabinet of curiosities may be out of print by now but I'm friends with one of the authors, um, Catherine Catmull she's actually someone that's in my think my first first podcast. But I've asked her, like, are y'all gonna, are y'all gonna come back with those? Because I've really been searching for an anthology like this, where they're Mm -hmm. shorter little nuggets, Mm -hmm. the impact is big. And each story that I read had that big impact you know, and I loved it. And I, one of the reviews you guys had on Amazon said the same thing where they're like, it might take 15 minutes to read a story, but it's great. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) So I really like, yeah, that's
1: amazing. That's the best kind of feedback. (laughs) Yeah. I think the the real beauty of short stories and especially short, short stories, like three or four pages is that usually if somebody wrote that it's because they had an idea, like because it had something to say and it said that one thing and it said it well and it knocked your socks off, Yeah, you know? And of course in a collection like this, you also expect that every reader is going to have different favorite stories and every reader is going to have some stories that just don't work for them. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of easier for us to deal with because if a reader doesn't relate to a couple of stories, they're gone in a flash and they have so much other stuff that they're going to love and it you know it doesn't affect their overall experience of the book we stand by every single story and we found something to love in every single one so we are absolutely confident that there is something for everybody there and the fact that they are short it also i think kind of caters to what we need right now obviously i can't speak for everybody but most of us, I think, have been struggling with our attention span, especially oh, sure. during quarantine times and COVID times, with finding time to do anything, with finding time to sit down and read. It's not quite as easy as it used to be right now for a lot of people. Being able to pick something up and have an emotional experience in 10 minutes or less, it, it's it helps. It's something, yeah. you know. And for a lot of, even for me, a lot of times, I know that I can't get into a book right now, or I try and I have to give up because there's just too much buzzing in my head, there's too much going on, Uh, you know, I just moved to a new country, everything is a disaster, but you can always take 10 minutes to sit down with a short story, and I feel enriched every time I do it, and you know, that's kind of what I hope that our readers are going to get from it too. That they're going to sit down and feel enriched whether they just read one and then they have to stop for a week, or they just read the whole thing in one sitting. I hope somebody did that, by the way. I, well, and <laughs> I was, was gonna nice.
0: say, I was I I was a librarian um for like over 10 years. It you know, like 13 years. I forget it's so it's somewhere in there. Um, but one of the things that was so great about an a good short story collection because you know they can be hit or miss. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. <laughs> some be, some curators are not as good at this as you are. <laughs> but, oh, but you. um, with, what librarians really appreciate about short story collections like this that are really good is that. You know, especially school librarians where you're dealing with students who have required reading, um, mm-hmm. but quote unquote hate reading, yeah. we, we call them reluctant readers. And that's just because they either don't have the attention span mm-hmm. and their reading that they need for them has not been nurtured in the right yeah. way, or, um, you know, people, you, they just haven't found something that's been interesting. You know, Absolutely. especially teenage boys, like when the, in those like 11, 12, 13 year old years, mm-hmm. you either like lose them or you get a reader for life if you can get them to yeah. read just the right thing. Um, and so we used short story collections a lot because mm-hmm. I would tell them, look, you, you don't have to make a big commitment here. You mm-hmm. can pick a couple of stories and see, and then they would mm-hmm. inevitably read the whole thing because yeah. they did not feel overwhelmed yeah. by 300 pages they were mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay. Well, I I can handle the ten pages, you know, or whatever." Yep, totally. And then that's what would start them. Well, good. Do you have mm-hmm. anything else like this?
1: <laughs> and it was just, oh, really... that's lovely. I bet you love that question.
0: Well, and yes, I did because what it was is that um, we used those collections as vehicles for reluctant readers mm-hmm. to discover a love of reading, you know. Amazing. And so I'm really going to try to, um, you know. Put this out there to librarians I know, and mm-hmm. just try to and tag some like library associations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just because I think this is really, it's really smart, but it's also really fun. Mm-hmm.
1: There's nothing
0: inaccessible about these stories. At the same time, that they are rich. You yeah. have a lot to offer. Mm. You know? So I just, I really love this volume.
1: Congrats. I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, it mm-hmm. means a lot to me because I'm obviously relatively new to this and I'm just learning with everything I do I'm always making mistakes and learning from them so it, it means a lot to us that we manage to put together something that makes people happy and I definitely love the idea like honestly that's my ideal target audience I write for adults mm-hmm. officially unofficially I'm actually writing for that late teenager who is reading books they're not supposed to be reading yet because I was that teenager because I hated every single thing that they assigned to us in school I loathed that literature when I was able to I didn't even read the books I just read summaries and I was clever enough to talk on a book for an hour that I had never read and I always got A's so you know I was always (laughs) Fine. But I could not stand them. And if I had been stuck with just the books that the school made me read, I would have probably thought I was not a reader, which would have been the farthest thing from the truth. Luckily, you know, at some point when I was 13 or 14, I guess, I broke into my father's locked liquor cabinet and came out with a Stephen King book. He was hiding in there. (laughs) He was he was hiding a bunch of horror books in there. Because, you know. It, it, that is not great. for a young mind i was not after the liquor but i came out with a couple of horror books Does
0: and you think when... you know this anecdote this is a fantastic
1: <laughs> anecdote oh but i'm sure i can't be the only one so many kids must have done exactly they the don't same find thing.
0: them in liquor cabinets this is amazing
1: <laughs> fair enough i never thought about it that that part might be a little bit
0: unique to my family but yeah that's a great anecdote i think he'd like it Um, but yeah, no, that's, this is something that, um, I'm also going to talk to teachers about, because I think it's Mm -hmm. a great way for people to dip their toe into a genre they may be not as familiar Mm -hmm. with. A lot of times people think Gothic and they think of longer tomes, like Wuthering Heights and stuff, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we obviously have Poe over here, but I think it's always great to find new voices. Mm Um, one of the things that was delightful here is that you even have like a touch of holiday. I read down with uh-huh. the Holly Ivy and all. Yep. And I'm I mean, I had a chuckle at the same time that it was purely <laughs> gothic in every yep. sense of the word. Yep. Um, but I was like, but it gave me a giggle, and I kind of found as I went through some of these, um, that I almost felt like the authors were winking at us. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some tongue-in-cheek happening. Absolutely. That was such a treat.
1: I, I believe that horror and humor are intrinsically connected to each other absolutely and some of my favorite stories are the ones that can you know put a little smile on your face or wink at you a little bit at least and I think a lot of these definitely do it's hard not to because we all come from a place of loving this style and this genre but at the same time we have our own spins on it and our own fun new things to add to it so of course most of the stories are also secretly winking at you. Some of them not even so secretly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know, I know that was a good one. Um, I also loved, like, um, I'm just, I'm shouting out some of the ones that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, a scent of Clothes by Helen Glenn Jones. Mm-hmm. What was nice about that, I have a sensory seeker. My child is somebody who can get overwhelmed by senses. Mm-hmm. but I think we all can. There are times where I'm like, I don't want light or, you know, something... Mm-hmm something where there's too much and I Mm -hmm. think this author was very subtle with their use of sense you know senses to create sometimes we're too dependent on fog we're too Mm -hmm. dependent on a crumbling mansion but I thought it was clever that um Miss Jones used our senses to our sense of smell and if
1: you think about it our sense of smell is so deeply connected to our memory Like I still have these moments where I will smell hazelnuts and suddenly I'm transported back to my grandmother's living room where she had this linen chest where she hid hazelnuts. For some reason, I'm not even sure to keep the moths away or something, (laughs) probably some sort of Romanian folk tradition that you have to hide hazelnuts in the linen. I will have to ask her someday. And I think that your sense of smell is always so powerfully connected to your memory and to visualizing scenes. And... I love it whenever an author uses it in a story and like really makes you feel that mm-hmm. it's beautiful and your tactile sense is another one that you never see enough in stories and can never right. get enough of it.
0: Well, and this one, also, they also played on our sense of hearing, which is mm-hmm. he was hearing something but couldn't see it. And that's terrifying, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was really clever um, as a way to twist a trope like twist mm-hmm. tropes around um, to, to build that sense of dread, like, w- like what we were talking about. Um, do you plan on collaborating again? Because This was so good and I, I wish this the most success. Do you plan on collaborating again?
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I had a great experience with Bridget Gate and we definitely have plans to work on, again, too many things probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, they are fantastic and I think in publishing, Whenever you make one of these connections that you feel like in your heart, you are on the same page. It's like you feel like family almost automatically. And it happens rarely. But when it happens, you just have to keep those people forever. Absolutely keep them close. And that's definitely what I intend to do. We want, we would love to do another volume. This is probably a secret. So, you know, don't tell anybody. Okay. We want to do... we want to work together on another volume that's going to take the same sort of approach but gather stories from different cultures around the world Very and i think that's going to be a really interesting project we don't have any details we haven't you know established anything beyond that it's just in the talking about a phase but usually that's how it starts you know we talk about it and then two months later yeah we're opening submissions so we will see well we have to make
0: this a a success too you know we want to build on that so everybody go buy this book
1: (laughs) i know i know also that we are definitely planning on promoting this book on trying to you know send it to awards not that that stuff is necessarily important you know it can win no awards whatsoever and still be an amazing book and many of them are but we are going to try to you know get it in the loop as much as possible and see what pops out and then the other thing that I was recently talking to Bridget Kate about is that I want to start some writing classes here in Romania you know how I was telling you that I want to start nurturing yes. our your own our own you know native writers in English and I was asking them whether they might be willing to help me with that and they said yes so they are going to give me a couple of publishing spots every year in uh, anthologies or in whatever projects that they are uh, working on at the time that I can give to rom- writers from Romania you know, probably, again we don't have a lot of details but I will try to form a couple of classes and pick the best stories on the right themes out of the class, and they are going to have a spot to be published through Bridget's Gate, and I'm going to also have a spot for them through Tenebrous Press. So it's kind of an extra incentive. First of all, for me to be able to get a partner here, I'm going to try to partner with a local library, and second of all, to get students, you know, interested because it's not just a class; it's a class where you have a chance of being published at the end yeah and of course I'm going to be lobbying up and down to publish everybody if I can because I think you know
0: I think we've had it hard enough and we deserve a little extra help for a while oh my gosh well best of luck with that and I, th- I mean I know I'm here for it and I think a lot of other readers want to hear voices I mean here we are as fiction readers like you know we we kind of thrive on this gothic like Transylvania in itself is mm-hmm. is almost a trope for us like yeah. oh it's set there well then it's you know it's gothic yeah. so you know what to expect already but we need to hear voices from the area that's absolutely something I think that people would be interested in so best of luck with that. I think the moment real
1: Transylvania breaks into the English-speaking world of literature, it is going to surprise the heck out of everybody. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be like nothing people expect. Oh my it's going gosh. to turn all the tropes on their heads. And I, I think we're going to
0: see it happening soon, I hope well I'm gonna flap my wings until something happens I will help if I can (laughs) I will do what I can to to put those you know whether it's like featuring someone who wants to read their story I'd welcome something Mm. like that on the podcast That would be cool yeah those connections see what we're talking about absolutely Um, those connections
1: are everything they're how you end up being able being in a position to help people to help new authors to publish new people that's how it works it's fantastic
0: it's funny you say that because um, PJ Hoover is a friend of mine. She lives around here, mm-hmm. but she's a writer also, and I'm um, was talking to her at a conference that we have here regularly, and she, she also, I interviewed her too for twice, but uh, one of the times was she put together uh, an anthology also on femme fatales. So that's so cool. uh, Yeah. She's amazing. But she um, was talking about how like the connections are so important and no, and like conferences or these sorts of things Mm -hmm. um, really set you up for, you know, success as a writer too. just Mm -hmm. meeting other people and nurturing that with other people.
1: so it's definitely something that has an upside and a downside Mm -hmm. for sure the downside being that a lot of people can feel excluded everybody I think sooner or later feels excluded a lot of times it can feel like people have monopoly over certain markets like people have monopoly over certain friend groups like it's difficult to break in and I know this I feel it too sometimes the writers in my group feel it too my contacts everybody feels it like You're always an outsider somehow because you're never going to be in with everybody, you know. So I think that's why it's important that whenever we do have connections, whenever we do have access to use that access to help other people in some way. That is the only thing. And if you're not doing that, I think you're doing it wrong
0: because that's the only thing it's there for. That's the only thing that really matters in the end. Yes. And I think it's really powerful too, that you're like trying to establish, you know, we're not going to think in terms of, oh, you guys had a totalitarian government for a while, maybe didn't have a voice or an opportunity to have a voice. So I'm Mm -hmm. really excited. Like you're one person out there trying to make this all happen. So, you know, everybody like follow Alex on Twitter (laughs)
1: You know, imagine what I'm going to be able to do when I can get another couple of people from this country on my team. We are going to kick ass.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And I like that with, with the fervor in which you said it, that, that please, (laughs) (laughs) um, well, best of luck to you. We definitely want to have you back on the show with your future projects. And thank um, you so much. I would love to be here again. And I want to thank Bridget's Gate Press also for putting this out. And, and so do I, you know, (laughs) so do I, they have
1: been fantastic. They're wonderful people, wonderful publisher. And I urge everybody to, you know, work with them, read them, review them, do whatever you can. For an independent publisher and for a small publisher, it's so important to get that interaction, to have people review, to have people say a nice word on Twitter. You know, whatever you can do, it doesn't matter. Drop an email if you're shy and just tell them you like what they're doing, because that's everything right now. It's what makes or breaks publishers in these early years. And we have an avenue in independent horror to do good in the world in ways in which not a lot of other places can. So I really believe
0: in supporting them as much as possible. Oh yes, well, this is exciting. I look forward to whatever y'all do together, Um, but also individually. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I'll put, I'm going to put actually the the links because um, I am giddy that this is out in paperback as well. This is, a, this <laughs> appeals to people who process information differently mm-hmm. as a librarian. Absolutely. I was always respectful of my students, like different ways of, like some were auditory mm-hmm. and really used yeah. audiobooks more. And so I'm so excited. I was like, I don't even know if they know like the neurodivergence that this caters to by having it available mm-hmm. in paper as well. So yeah. thank you both for that as well. Um okay. well, Of course, we would
1: love to have it out in audiobook as well. It's just that the most expensive thing to do for a new publisher. So that might take some time. But of course, ideally, we could have every book in every format available because that's just perfect. We're all so different and we all experience things in different ways.
0: Well, thank you. I know you're all the way over there. I know this is a late (laughs) night for you. So I'm going to go ahead and wind it down. But this was such a treat to have you on the show. I definitely look forward to having you back.
1: Thank you very much. I had a great time with you, honestly. And I look forward to being back too.
0: (laughs) Good luck. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading.